No, we're not gone. It's not over. We're not dead. We're back. Swear to God. This is Psychotronicast. I'm Alec Berg, and the talent is Derek Estes. It's been a while, but you still can yeah. subscribe to us, and you still can listen to us on all the social media and the podcast platforms, as far as I know. And I know we've been away for quite some time, and also we sound a little different today, and that is because we are doing a remote podcast, which we will probably be doing forever. Sorry. (laughs) We're not going to be in the same room. Life happens, and things change, but here we are, and we're back. But we're talking, and we're talking about movies again, and more importantly... We're getting into some different shit, so sorry for the delay. But Derek, what the hell are you getting us into today? Well, I think we kind of it's been all over the place. So I guess first I'm just gonna you know explain you know what what we've been up to for the past month or so. We uh, had planned on doing you know a, a whole series of satanic panic movies, which we will eventually weave back into uh, the regular rotation. But uh, the month of October was just insane for both of us uh, for different like work and life and there was just so much stuff and so we just had to put uh put the podcast away for a few weeks um and we also had uh to retire the second toronto club which is kind of a funny little story that we want to talk about um but yeah so now we are back uh this is kind of just a you know almost a welcome back episode uh and just kind of to, to get us back up to speed and then um we'll also talk a bit about uh the new hysteria and our thoughts on that um, but yeah, I guess. Did you? Do you? Uh, where, where should we? Where should we start? I think what we should. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I think that we should start with. <laughs> we had big plans. We have big plans for October. <laughs> That's when all these crazy uh, niche genre movie podcasts go buck wild. Is for the month of October. Unfortunately. Um, work got in the way for both of us. You were leaving a job and also oh, yeah. going into a new job, but still working both at the same time. Uh, and, oh, yeah. It uh, was like working like seven days a week for like for weeks. And I've been kind of in that mode for a while myself, too, where I've been working these like crazy because I have two jobs at the moment as well. And then in the meantime, I've had this little like little I, I call it a bunker out back where um, I saw in my future like a man cave. It's a, I bought a house last year and there's a little like bike shop studio little shed thing out in the back of the property that I bought. And I'm like, if I can convert this into a spot that I can hang out in and then maybe we can do uh, way more podcasts where I can record remotely with you instead of having to go to the opposite side of the town and record podcasts and stuff because life... It's just getting complicated. Um, oh, we're, yeah. getting, we're getting older. It happens. Things are changing. Our jobs are changing. Our uh, situations are changing. But we still want to remain and do this. But we just need to figure out new ways to do it. And even though you're and eventually, here, I'll be out of prison, so we won't have to do this. Yeah. So once he's um, <laughs> released and he's on parole, we will speak to his parole officer, and then we can further <laughs> figure out the the schedule, as you were. But yeah, this is maybe the only episode it's going to sound like this. Maybe we can figure out another way where the quality is just a little bit better. But I think this will do for just now. But as far as that, um, a couple things have happened. Um, We did do Psychotronic Club at uh, Pop Tavern. But we just weren't really getting the response that we were looking for with the people watching. Yeah. 
Uh, it was a little bit of an uphill battle for a little bit. Like I, I, initially, the when they contacted us to program it, you know, they wanted us to try to help bring people in um, on Monday nights. And at the time, it, it worked. Um, like I had Monday nights off, and you you were able to be free most Monday nights. I think you were there for almost all but like one. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was tough because we just weren't able to get quite enough people to make it like we're all here to watch a movie. And so it was that thing where we were just watching a movie uh, like on a big screen, the TV, like in a bar. And then we tried different things. We were like trying different you know, times. We were going to do different features. And, um, and it, you know, it's just like one of those things where, you know, people would even come in and we we're almost just, like projecting things on, um, you know, almost like background entertainment for people just being in a bar. And initially the first day we did it. Like I was there early to try to set up and make sure everything worked. And we did the first movie we played was Night Train to Terror. And we're doing the like, you know, kind of uh, you know, setting things up and just kind of testing the equipment because there was kind of, there were some sound issues. And there's the scene in the like first segment of that movie where the woman is like, you know, tied to the hospital bed and she's naked. So this woman gets up on her way out the door and she's like, this movie's kind of rapey. And so the general manager is like, oh, okay, just be, you know, like conscientious of this. And, and I totally, I get it. Um, you know, but so I intentionally for like was trying to program movies that like either had like strong female leads or the things were like to offset some of that. So, you know, hopefully even like gain some trust and, you know, what we're doing. But it just, we weren't able to get like enough people coming in. And then when you're just like, people are randomly walking in. Um, and then, yeah, there's going to be something fucked up. You know, even we did, like, uh, Female Prisoner Scorpion, and, you know, that movie, you know, has, you know, has a rape scene in it. There's, like, a lot of these movies have, like, some sort of rape scene in them. Um, but we tried to work around that. But then around the end, we, um, well, we played, um, uh, Deadbeat at Dawn. It was the, the final one we did, uh, it started with Deadbeat at Dawn, and that seemed to be fine with people. And then, and then we were kind of like, yeah, okay, let's just roll with it. And we ended up putting on Last House on the Left. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. I was like, you were like, we could do that or we could do like, was it like a... Uh, it was going to be uh, either that or Killer Clowns so, from Outer Space. Yeah. And yeah. I was the one just like, oh, I'll just go for Last House on the Left. Like, whatever. And so, yeah. And so that did not go over well at all um <laughs> that like yeah it just yeah this guy tried to fight us yeah and it was like and it's like that okay beyond like whatever like that was a whole deal but it's like yeah we're not out to try to like piss people off or like make people leave and cry or start fights so it just made sense to for us just to discontinue that we might pursue it in another concept another format uh, at a later point, but it would definitely be something where you know, we'd want to do it where people are actually coming to watch the movie and not just like come in because you need the right audience. You need people who can understand the context and not just try to fight you. And I think that, <laughs> yeah, I, I think context is everything. You pointed this out weeks before where you're like, look, like when people go to the Hollywood theater and they're going to go watch, let's say they're playing Last House on the Left at the Hollywood Theater. Like, there's going to be 350 people there that know the deal, that know the score, that go in with the right state of mind, and also are going to watch it from start to finish, and then they can make their judgments. The thing about these movies, yeah. as we found out, especially with something like um, 
oh shit, what's it called? Lady, uh, female prisoner scorpion. Where it's like, yeah, you, oh, yeah. See, you see this this Japanese girl get raped in like the first twenty minutes, but if you just leave after that, you're like, what is this fucking like snuff film? It's like, well, if you watch the hour and a half movie that ensues, it's like it's a revenge tale that's also like awesome stylistic, like it's artsy, like it, it's it's a great way to like tell a story. It's like abstract. Um, it's got all these characters, but uh, yeah, people are just. You know, tuning in at either the wrong time or just any time at all, and, and it just... was also yeah a very a, a very triggery neighborhood. So. Yeah, I mean Portland so, is close to college. Portland's yeah. very sensitive, and like the bar that we were doing it at was very close to the community college, and the community in general in Portland is um, soft. And yeah. I, I mean the the guy that tried to fight us. Uh, he came up as like, you know, you're coming up here and you're watching your rape films every Monday. He's just like, you're just two white men. And it's just like, he was a white man talking to two white men about <laughs> being white. And it's just like, so fucking what? And it's just like, why is this? I don't know. Well, also, yeah, I mean, that's a whole, that's There's a whole that. other thing. So, we're, yeah. so that was a thing. And then also, yeah. So that's retired for now. So that's retired for now. <laughs> I spent time building out this bunker, which is where I will be. Doing the podcast, sometimes Derek will be here. Uh, sometimes we'll be doing it like this. Maybe we'll figure out a better contraption where it sounds a little bit better. But for the time being, this is the way that we can put out as much as we can. And I think this is going to be oh, pretty yeah. good. These are some sweet digs. Even though it is 40 degrees outside right now. And uh, oh, yeah. it's not insulated in here. But I'm wearing oh. layers, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> well, good. I mean, you kind of run sort of hot. It's actually, the heat is on in my apartment right now. And you would be like sweltering it would almost feel like a eating real wool episode i would much rather be in this room right now than in yours (laughs) uh i i yeah Yeah, i'm not a i don't care about the cold um other things that have happened um besides your job thing my job thing uh the hollywood theater in portland did the annual third annual all night horror movie marathon. Well, third one we, we went to. I think we did a couple before us. No way! I, I didn't even know that. More. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Okay. I know, right? So yes. But yeah, no. The third one we've been to. How about that? Yeah. And it was a fantastic lineup. I mean, we could briefly talk about a few of those movies if you would like. Oh yeah. Uh, the the for, I'll run down the 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 menu was it started with Piranha. Uh, after which they went to um, Tourist Trap. Tourist Trap. And then they did... What am I missing? Uh, the, the third one was New Year's Evil. Yeah, New Year's Evil. That was the one. And then the Italian yeah. Gut and Muncher. Then, uh, Nightmare City. Nightmare City. Yeah. And uh, it was quite the lineup. I liked it. I uh, got to say, it was oh, the... Yeah. I'd seen Tourist Trap before, hadn't seen the other three... And I love the other three. I really liked Piranha. And I kind of been oh, yeah. on a Joe Dante kick a little bit before and now a little bit after. Yeah, totally. No, I think that movie is really great. And it's a really, like, that movie pairs really well with um, with Alligator, which we both saw at the Hollywood Theater maybe Loved a it. year ago. Yeah. Um, and they're both written by John Sayles. And I think that he, it was kind of before John Sayles really started directing his own stuff. Like, I think... I'm thinking his first movie was like the Sea Caucus, like seven or whatever, and that was like around eighty. But he was kind of working with all those like um, the Corman people. But he just has like a really good knack for like these sorts of films. And both those movies are like obviously sort of in the post Jaws, you know, animal attack movies. 
but uh, neither of them really um, feel like you know any kind of like weak you know ripoff. Like they they both kind of stand up, uh, both in the cast and the writing and the performances, and there's just dynamite they're so much fun yeah i mean just the banter back and forth between the characters and how with both Mm -hmm. of those movies like the characters in the film are like flawed and i loved like the flawed i mean that's that 70s grit like uh that's the stuff i miss about cinema and also like the weathered actors like it looks like not only did they grow up on the stage or whatever at least they were trained with their chops that way but they also look like they you know these actors like either grew up on a farm or on a boat or something like they had scars yeah and that's what really shows in these movies and even though the scenes the piranha scenes and the alligator scenes in alligator are a little like oh there's that like that's pretty silly looking i kind of love it like i love well there are the scenes in piranha where they have uh you see them like swimming, and it looks like really cartoony and kind of crazy. But I, but it's I also enjoyed that. I mean, it has that kind of like fifties sort of style that you know Joe Dante plays it a lot, like this kind of like his throwback to like the you know kind of golden era of like drive-in movies. But I really love when the the piranhas are like when they're like freaking out, like either when they're attacking. Yes, that's actually when really cool. You know, when they're on that thing and they're just like running all around and they're just like. It just like, it's crazy. They have like such an intensity to it, and it's like all the blood in the water, and um, like when they're tearing apart the raft. Yeah, like, I love that stuff. It is really cool. No, it's hot shit, and, and the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's good. If you haven't seen Piranha, definitely go for that one. And um, I, oh, yeah. just a little like I, I love the the male lead in the film. Just total fucking drinking problem. Like you know the the the, oh, yeah. the other adult. Like he's he's living remotely for a reason. It's not like when the movie first begins, you kind of feel like maybe he's just like this like rugged like you know like no town's big enough for me. Like I'm my own law. Like kind of thing. Maybe he's like just some like Clint Eastwood type. But no, he's just like kind of this like booze bag. <laughs> Of a man, oh yeah, and like a divorced, like he's got a daughter, and even like the principal at the school's like, nah, like you're like, oh yeah. shit, and um, no, yeah, it's, it's a great. really fucking fantastic movie. I definitely recommend it. It was a great I movie love, to kick like, off with. I can't with think it. of her name either. The uh, the lead actress is so great too because she's such a like, you know, spitfire. Like she just like gets it done. Yeah, like, she's not waiting around for him to do anything. Like, he's if anything just like, do we have to fucking do this? She's like, no, come on, we're doing this. Yeah, and it's also funny too. I love in that movie how they're actually to blame for everything that happened. I know. For the most part, they I mean, if they, they never showed up, it would have been fine. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. They, they fucked up. Totally. That was great. Yeah. Um, I'm like trying to spell piranha right now, and I can't. Uh. You trying to what? Spell piranha. Spell piranha for me. Oh yeah, uh, P I R. Oh, uh, I don't know. No, you're right. P I R. No, I need a light. A N H A. Okay, there we go. We're piranha. Back. Piranha. Um. Oh, they remade it in 1995. I didn't even know that. I know they remade it in the the 2000s yeah. as well. But oh, they also did a TV movie. Well, and then version. was it like uh, Piranha 3D? Wasn't that uh, James Cameron's first movie? Oh, very nice. I was just trying to look at the 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 cast and characters. Um, let's oh, yeah. see. The woman's name. We have all uh, those people. Heather. Have, um... Oh, wow. I, uh, Maggie McCohen as Heather McKenzie's. Yeah, I don't even know who okay. that is. 
Yeah, I don't know, but she's great. Yeah, she's great. But I mean, I it has some like that. Roger Corman players in it: uh, Dick Miller, Kevin McCarthy, Barbara Steele. Like, oh yeah, Barbara Steele is so fucking good in that. I mean, she doesn't have like a huge part, but she's just like great. And it's also one of the few movies that Barbara Steele actually uses her own voice. Um, oh no, shit! Because in the Mario Baba films, it was always dubbed. Oh yeah, everything. Like she always talks about that. Like even. When I met her, she was talking about how you know, all those Italian movies she did in the 60s, you know, even like eight and a half, like it's always someone else dubbing her voice. And then when she made that movie with um, that Ryan Gosling directed, and then he had her play it silent. Like she played it as a mute. Huh. <laughs> and she's like, why can I never fucking talk? And you're like, yeah, fair enough. All right. So Barbara Steele does talk. She does talk. There's great. I mean, I love Dick Miller. Like, Oh, yeah. I wish like he's a great. He's like, so good. He's so well, good in the Burbs. He's so good in every. He's so good uh, in the yeah. Terminator. Like he uh, just yeah. plays these little like I'm in one scene and I am just gonna own this motherfucker and he completely does in Piranha. He's like the mayor of the town or like running for mayor, like some sort of governing office or whatever. I was super high when I watched the movie, but it was, he's so fucking well, it's good. Also, he's kind of like the guy. He's like the um, the mayor in Jaws. You know, they don't, like, you know, suppress everything because we don't want, you know, the tourism to get fucked up. And, yeah, and he's, like, in charge of, like, that camp and all this shit going on. And everyone's, like, you know, trying to get into this fucking river. Um, but then in the, it, the funny thing in this movie is just the fact that, like, there is a fucking massacre. Like, not just, like, one person or whatever. Like, literally the planets are, like, snapping at everybody and they're, like, killing everybody. And then uh, the guy comes up and he's, like, oh, uh sometimes they're eating all the, or like they're devouring all the guests or whatever. It's just yeah. so ridiculous. Oh, the other is Paul fucking Bartel. It's so I was going to mention that next, you son of a bitch. But yes, Paul Bartel. Yeah. You were mentioning eating Raul earlier in the podcast because of the heat. But, um, oh, oh yeah. man, his bit part is uh, phenomenal. He's so good. He's so good at uh, it. And he plays this like... He, and then he's... An asshole, but then he also like goes and like saves his kids and risks his life. No, exactly. That's the thing. That's what made. That's what gives this movie like layers. Is like he could just be that camp counselor that's just like, oh, he's the naysayer and beep bop boop whatever. But like these kids are in danger, and he's just like, no, my job. The reason I am an asshole is because I want these kids safe, and they're gonna go home to their parents. And like he <laughs> risks his fucking life. And there's a child that dies on his watch, and that's the last shot that we see of Paul Bartel, and it's him holding a dead child and looking down. This is a movie called Piranha. Like, it's like, yeah. there's so much depth in this movie with all these, like, little characters. And, of course, you know, they've acted in so much shit because they're in the Corman crew that they have the chops to, like, make uh, everything yeah. pop. And this movie is yeah. just, like... There isn't a wasted minute in this film. It's like constant like action. We're like moving forward. We're not staying still. Like we're always on to the next thing. And then any single person that's in any scene, including the children, like it's yeah, just yeah. it's just great. It's just great acting all around. I mean, I can see why this like catapulted Joe Dante into doing bigger yeah. and better things because like the I mean, it's great. It's a great movie. Yeah, it really is. No, I I really love that movie. Um, I guess we that could. That was awesome. That was so. That was the first one. Um, I guess we did Tourist Trap and Tourist Trap was like. I mean, it's yeah. That movie is just great. And I hadn't seen it all the way through. Like I'd seen part of it. I I'd watched uh, like part of the Joe Bob Briggs introduction. Like, yeah. Super late at night. I think I was also yeah. Like I was high. And I'm sure I was drunk. So I I didn't really remember much of it. So then when I watched it, um, 
all the way. Like that movie is just so weird and just like you know you have like Chuck Connors and just the crazy masks and all this shit. But I also love how like him in the mask like it's been it felt like kind of one of these like themes that was going on both this and then Mia's Evil, but just like the kind of sassy killer in a mask. Yeah. He's very, like, verbose. You know, a lot of the, like, mask killers, there's a million of them in horror movies, and you obviously have, like, you know, like, you know, uh, Michael Myers and Jason, and, you know, I mean, it's like, like a, a whole slew. But, um, you know, they're usually pretty silent, you know, or they're not, like, they're kind of these, like, shapes, or they're, you know, it's they're not, like, just gabbing away. But, um, yeah, this one just fucking has just a lot to say, and it's great. Yeah, and I, I, we won't really dwell on this one too much because I honestly think mm-hmm. you can't do better than Joe Bob Briggs, and I'm such a fan of his. I'm literally sitting in a Lazy Boy recliner right now recording this podcast, and I bought this fucking recliner for the bunker that I'm you sitting in. you bought a cowboy hat. And, yeah, I am literally, like, I am all about it. And, um, yeah, so his episode, his introduction into the new Shutter series that he's doing at the last drive-in, watch that. He explains it so well. Oh, yeah. He goes into Chuck Connors in depth. Like, it is, like, it is the best. So uh, I guess we won't really touch that one. But the last two we definitely will. And the next one being oh, yeah. New Year's Evil. I had never seen this before. Me neither. I'd seen the case to it. Um, and I remember, like, being tempted to just to pick it up. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, some of those movies are just so, like, you know, if, if it was, like, put by Arrow or somebody, it might be, like, a blind buy. Where I'm like, okay, I know they're at least going to put, like, a lot of context and, you know, make it engaging. But I, I never did. And so when they played that, and it was a pristine print. It, it was, was like, so the nice. They had all night. Yeah, they, they played all 35-millimeter prints. That's kind of their deal at the Hollywood. And, mm-hmm. um... I thought that I had seen this before because I'd seen Christmas Evil, so I was confusing the two titles. This was also mm-hmm. the third movie of the night, and I was high. So, like, uh, going in, oh, I was yeah. like, oh, I've seen this. And after, like, the first five minutes, I was like, wait. And, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, man. It's got a 4.8 rating on IMDb. That's hilarious. It's so good. <laughs> um, it's so entertaining. It's so entertaining. When you have, like, I don't know, there's just a lot going on. I mean, it's so wonderfully 80s and i think it's only from like 1980 but it feels like way later it feels it does. like 1985 or six um and then you have this woman who's you know i mean she is she's straight up she's middle-aged i mean she has an adult son yeah uh, but she's this like sexy host for this um like show this program it seems like maybe it's like uh you know, maybe it is like a, a local show, like an L.A., you know, show yeah, that has it, kind of high production values, but it's not quite like, you know, American Bandstand, but that kind of vibe. She's it's a tastemaker. Like, hey, like, I'm here to like, yeah, yeah, talk about, you know, like these cool bands, but she's counting down starting at nine o'clock Pacific time, all of the different, um, like they have uh, people in New York, Chicago, uh, they're in like Denver or they're somewhere in Colorado. Yes, Colorado's then, one of them. Um, yeah. And then you have like LA. And then as the nights go on, you end up like this, you know, whatever. The, the plot is that there's a killer who's murdering people at the circuit of midnight for each time zone. Uh, and they know that like it's, you know, like she's probably going to be the, the LA victim. Mm-hmm. And he keeps calling in to the show. Yep. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's wild. It's yeah, it's almost like a. 
you know, like a headbangers ball or 120 minutes, but way before those, because I think mm-hmm. MTV was invented in 1980, and I'm sure they shot this before MTV even came yeah, out. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like summer of '81 was MTV. Okay, yeah, so, so yeah, it was probably something like some late night like White Soul Train. But it's just like a really, really <laughs> good. Yeah, totally. It's a really, really good time capsule of like that LA that I think everybody. Uh, at least people like me, uh, growing up in Los Angeles County, uh, dreamed of by the time you got old enough to yeah. actually like venture out in West LA and like party and do stuff. And it's like nothing. It was dead. It was long dead, long, long well, dead. But you also have like so many. So okay, I can talk a little bit about the fucking band that we have playing. Oh it's man, so amazing because they're like at first they they seem kind of like uh like kind of new wavy, not quite like post-punk but they in this kind of you know like early 80s like they adopted a lot of these kind of punky things but they're not quite any of it but there's one scene later in the movie where they're just like the most like wanker like dad jazz like yes. playing some like blues like what, i don't know i can't even like place like exactly what i would um it's like a slow dance as, but it's just like at a yeah at a, like like a junior high dance dad blues yeah, yeah. Dad, and everyone's just so into it. <laughs> you even see the people who are like, like almost like, yeah, not even yacht rock, cool. Like, like, like blues without the cocaine, you know? Like, yeah, or the, the black people. It's yeah, you, yeah, exactly. So you just see all these people, even the people dancing in the like audience, like they don't quite know how to move. It's so hilarious. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like if literally jazz was. Like, the only thing that jazz was was La La Land. Like, that's jazz. That's the only thing jazz is, is this. Like, that was the song they played. So, um, Well, and then you had, so the killer is going around, and he has, like, a a tape recorder. He's recording everything. But then at one point in the movie, and she also has this, like, son who's, like, super disturbed, and he wants to tell her something, and she's, like, kind of a cold bitch. Um, oh, we we need to get into her. Time. We need to get into her head oh, yeah. for just a minute. <laughs> She's the best fucking part of the movie. Her name is uh, the the <laughs> the Roz Kelly. Uh, Diane Sullivan um, mm-hmm. is the character's name. Roz Kelly is the actress. She is cold-blooded like she just doesn't have emotion like she's like i host a show i do cocaine i fuck whoever i want like this is my deal meanwhile she's got this like son that has all this like pent-up like teenaged angst and he's just like i mom i need to tell you something like i have some emotional oh, yeah. shit to like unload on you and she's just like uh maybe later bye and then like i have a party to go to see it like she does not want to be a mom what <laughs> she like literally like oh, yeah. shit out a kid and, like, the dad must have raised it. And then all of a sudden, like, he's old enough. And now he's asking questions. And he, she's just, like, not into it. Like, this is... Oh, yeah. I've got a... She's I've got like cocaine later. rail. Okay? i got to get oh, out of yeah. here. I love her. I love her so much. It's so great. So then... Yeah, so then you have this killer going around who also, like, at one point is just wearing the Stan Laurel mask. It's so, so creepy. creepy. So creepy. And he's just like, bah, bah, bah. And he, again, like this very, like, just chatty Kathy under the mask and just being so crazy. Just he's calling her. And then just, yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to spoil yeah. a lot of the, whatever. But uh, anyhow, like, these people, by the end of it, you're like, these people have so many fucked up problems. It's, 
Yeah, it's L.A., it's baby. Crazy. People are fucked up. It is. <laughs> it really, it really encapsulates uh, the people in the city. Um, it's great. It's definitely going to be on my like. I mean, yeah. If, if I ever have like three New Year's Eves, it'll be on my like. Yes, I want to watch New Year's Eve, and it's gonna. It should be part of my rotation because it's. It's a lot of fun, and I really love it. And it should be a part of your rotation, too. Um, we will mm-hmm. end, as they ended, with uh, Nightmare City. And they, by the oh, time yeah. Hollywood started play, playing this one, they started the all-night horror movie marathon around, like, 9.30. And by the time yeah. they started playing this, it was, like, 4 a.m. or something. Like, it was yeah. brutal. It was late. And that print, let me tell you, wasn't as peachy king as the New Year's Evil print. But it made it oh, yeah. the way it should have been watched. It's kind of like how we saw... It was um, a well-loved print. Yeah, yeah. Like, it had been through some drive-ins, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, not my favorite Italian film, but... Yeah, it's not like... I like I like parts of it. It's definitely not my favorite Umberto Lenzi film. And it's not, like, my favorite of the zombie or it, it's like there's also a question like are they zombies are they ghouls because some people who feel they're zombies freak out because it's like the movie or at least the first zombie movie where they um they run okay you know, zombies always lumbering and slow but then like i know like Umberto Lindsay said before like no they're not like zombies they're like just kind of this unexplained kind of like demons or you know ghouls or whatever kind of similar to the original night living dead where you know, George Romero initially was like, well, they're not even really zombies. They weren't like, you know, zombies historically, like before, like what we now consider zombies were like actual, like, you know, it was like voodoo and, you know, either like, you know, kind of, they could be like dead, but usually they were just kind of like brainwashed, like automatons, you know, who just did freaky shit. Yeah. Um, so after like, after the Dawn movies and stuff, and people started getting this concept of the living dead, um, these kind of, you know, return from the dead people who kind of come around like that was kind of what that was about. Um, but there are like cool things in it. I mean, I like how it like the end wraps back around to the beginning and it's kind of this weird, like closed circle and there's certain stuff like the stuff at the, the TV station. Um, I kind of love like, yeah, I mean, there's a thing, one of the people introducing the horror movie marathon was, uh, Trista Perez and she was really funny and she was able to like, Get there and you know give a little banter. I looked her thing about prana. She said this movie doesn't have enough dick. Oh yeah, Dick Miller. Dick Miller. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, and, uh, and then uh, for this one, I think she called it the uh, the solid gold murders. Mm, yes, <laughs> it's like this like like solid gold style show. And then um, yeah, whatever the monsters and zombies come and like kill everybody. Has yeah, it- that movie is definitely it's it's fine, but it was definitely not like. The, the greatest thrill, and I'd seen it before, so it was it was fine to revisit. But yeah, it's fine. It's it's a good like if you're yeah if you're doing an all night movie marathon and you're getting just more fucked up or more high or like whatever as the night goes on, and your eyelids are getting a little bit heavy, then that's perfect. That's a perfect movie to just be like, oh, yeah. what am I? Am I like dreaming or is this like a movie? Like what's going on oh, right yeah. now? And I had uh, done. <laughs> I had, like, that was the other thing that's been keeping us is I'm a stupid baseball fan, and I like the fucking Dodgers that never oh, win. Yeah. And so I just watched them lose in, like, the, like, probably one of the most heartbreaking fashions in the World Series history, any team that's ever been. <laughs> if anybody likes baseball, you'll know what game I'm talking about. And I immediately went to the Hollywood Theater after, and um, I was already, like, 
half in the bag booze wise and I just started eating edibles or whatever. So by the time that the fourth movie rolled around to just like stay up face and up front, like I just had to like pound coffee that was given to us. So I was just selling coffee and donuts. I'm like sweating through the whole film because I like don't really take caffeine that well. I am kind of like that's my uh, <laughs> that's not my Achilles heel, but I'm just like kind of a wuss when it comes to caffeine. So I'd, I'd already drank in like 32 ounces of black coffee, and I was just like <laughs> just sweating to the oldies watching Nightmare City uh, yeah. after living my own Nightmare City before the fucking thing began. And um, no, it was. It's good. I, I like Cannibal Ferox more. I think that's the only film of his I've seen besides that. I haven't seen Spasmo yet. Oh, yeah, I love Spasmo. No, I mean, we watched, we covered uh, Alberta once when we did Almost Human. So I know you've watched that. Oh, that's his? Um, oh, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, so that's Alberta Lindsay. He did so much stuff. Oh, he did, like, that movie is, I love like, Almost Human is so yeah. good. Okay, yeah, that's definitely, that's his Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah yeah it's, he's done like yeah so he's like all over the place but that is like kind of one of those like later kind of 80s and i think i'm not like a huge fan of all of the uh you know the whole the both the zombie and the cannibal craze i really like some of those movies but they kind of they don't all hold up um unless they really get weird that's why i love burial ground so much burial like, ground oh my like, god oh my god like fucking was it like bob or the, the kid well, it wasn't for that sort of stuff like that movie. I wouldn't really have much time for yeah. either. But it's like it's just so crazy that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. Some of the other ones just get a little. Uh, one or the other is not. I mean, they're fine. I enjoy them, but uh, I, I don't like go back to them a lot because they're just not my favorite. Hey, yeah, um, I can see that. And we also, yeah. So I guess that was that. A couple others. We've just been, you know, trying to go see movies. We also saw the new Halloween. Oh yes. Um, like. Yeah, right around that that point. Like, there have been all these, like, big, uh, the big horror movies have all been coming out. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I really like the new Halloween. Like, I know there have been, like, you know, I mean, it's like any of these movies, you're going to get kind of the, the mixed bag. And we've even, like, talked to some people, you know, like, I don't know. But I think for, like, a Halloween sequel, um, I think it was really pretty spot on. I mean, it was, it didn't, like, venture out too much. or It wasn't, like, too, um, you know, didn't, like, reinvent the wheel. A whole lot, but I think the stuff no. it had was was really good. I mean, I think the, the first half I, I got a little bit worried when you had like those those podcasters, those fucking podcasters, um, who were like trying to you know research Michael Myers, and uh, they're just kind of like running around. You're like, oh fuck, I have to deal with these people. Um, but then once the movie starts rolling, like he, you know, kills them in short order, and it's really pretty dynamite. Yeah. Um, and I just loved, like, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, that was the thing, was we had just come from a John Carpenter film. They were playing, um, oh, no, what's it called? Oh, yeah. Uh, Prince of Darkness. Uh, we saw Prince of Darkness. At the yeah. Hollywood Theater, and uh, we'd realized that uh, that night, at midnight, they were going to do a midnight showing, not Hollywood Theater, but another theater in Portland, of the new Halloween. And I'm like, oh, that's perfect timing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, when we were watching the film... Like, uh, you and I had the same opinion, where, like, the first third of the film, I was like, uh-oh. Like, this yeah. is uh-oh. And then the last two-thirds, it was just, like, basically setting it up just to knock it down, and it totally worked. I've seen, I think, every Halloween movie that I can think of. I'm pretty sure. I just had recently listened to The Ringer had put out Halloween Unmasked. Um, it was a, yeah. a lady uh, did the narration. It was she's kind of like a, a Karina Longworth. 
uh, with from oh, you yeah, must remember yeah. this. It's like kind of that kind of that um, kind of that podcasting form, and uh, she covers every single Halloween movie, uh, start to finish. And uh, after and it's listening tough, to that, the Halloween movies. Oh my God, like, they get after, so they bad. Because yeah. with like Nightmare on Elm Street, I think as far as series goes, I think Nightmare on Elm Street, like all of those are like fairly solid. And then uh, I, I agree, yeah. Yeah, and then like with uh, Friday the Thirteenth, like the kills are so awesome, <laughs> like that you're just like there's something that you can take from every movie. But with Halloween, yeah. after number three, it just gets bleak. Yeah, like. I remember, like, I, I actually owned almost all of them, and eventually, like, there's some point where I'm like, I need to get rid of these. So I, I have, like, the first three. I remember four being fine, but it wasn't something I really needed to revisit. I think it was five, which is, like, really insufferable. There was a... Yeah, so I just... I know there's a, there are a few of the later ones I yeah. never saw. And I never saw Rob Zombie's versions of Halloween either. Um, I actually don't mind those. But, I know I'm in the. Yeah. I know I'm in the minority, but like those aren't mm-hmm. bad. I understand what people say when they think. Uh, speaking of bleak, uh, they're like so dark, so 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 dark. Uh, somebody yeah. referred to him as like even in the orig- in the Halloween remake that he does. He says like instead of do you want eggs, he goes do you want chicken abortions? Like that's literally a line in the movie. But they just basically make like yeah. Michael Myers like uh, you know just like a white trash kid who ha- has yeah. like these terrible parents and this terrible circumstance and uh, there's a reason why he's all this madness is happening and I think uh, I can get behind the way that people don't like it is because the thing that makes Michael Myers so fucking frightening is there's no rhyme or reason to any of it. And he's like emotionless and especially with the masculine virus, but with the Rob zombie reboot, it's like, well, he's like this because of this, but it's like the Halloween, the original Halloween. It's like, look at this big, beautiful house and his like (laughs) big, beautiful sister. And like, uh, you know, everything seems to be hunky dory. Like, why did he do that? And like, he literally says no words after that. And you never know anything else. But Rob Zombie really wanted to paint this portrait of, like, what is Michael Myers? And I think what makes Michael Myers so scary is without any of that. Yeah. No, and I I mean, like, not having seen it, like, I appreciate, you know, someone taking that kind of different um, approach to it. You know, like, this is it. Like, that might not be, like, necessarily what I'm interested in, but I think that, like, you know, there is obviously, like, stuff to mind from that perspective. And it is kind of like Rob Zombie's thing. He is kind of into that, like, the white trash. It's like the trailer park from hell is kind of, like, where a lot of his movies seem to take, you know, if not in reality, but, like, in theory. You know, like, Absolutely. that's kind of, like, the, the feeling I get from his movies. And I grew up in a trailer park, so I know a little bit about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, I mean, I can see that. I mean, at some point I might watch them. I'm not, like... I, with his movies, like, I've seen, like, The Devil's Rejects and, um, like, The House and Ten Thousand Corpses and stuff. I, there are things I like about him. Like, I like, um, obviously the people he casts. Like, he knows the movie. You know, so he, like, knows all these people, you know, like, or who do you want to see if you're watching, like, these genre movies? And he, like, you know, kind of resurrects a lot of people that you don't really see a lot. Um, like, obviously Sid Haig, um, you know, Jeffrey Lewis. Like, he, you know, plugs a lot of these people in. I, I like a lot of that, but I, I don't think um, of the ones I've seen. Like I, I'm like, oh god, that stands on its own is something I'm really interested in. You're kind of like, oh, that's cool. It's like a reunion of, you know, 
like watching like a very Brady Christmas. Yeah. You're like, okay. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying there. And, um, I, I would say I, I, I thought it's weird because now I need to go back to his, his first three films because I know so much more about these genre films that I will take more yeah. from them. But uh, House yeah. of a Thousand Corpses, I was like, eh, okay, I was like, that, that was good. I'm glad I saw it, but nothing to write home about. I was really, really into The Devil's Rejects. I was, thought that that was such a great movie. Yeah. Um, the Halloween's like. I do like the Sid Haig also plays Captain Spaulding. Because I love the Marx Brothers, and I love the kind of, like, the, the callback to, uh, is it Animal Crackers? I think when he's Captain Spaulding. Okay, yeah, um, because that's... Yeah, I love that. I've only seen, I've seen, like, Duck Soup, and I've seen Animal Crackers, and, like, that's yeah. that's pretty much the only ones I've seen. So it's from one of those, for sure, because that sounds familiar. Yeah, I love all the monkey business, good, uh, like, horse feathers. Yeah. I, I mean, I what's with what's with, what's with animal names in all their films? <laughs> I know they had. They were the original Dario Argento. Yeah, for no shit. It was like, well, the first one's like the coconuts. I think. Yeah, I think it's like coconuts, animal crackers, uh, monkey business, horse feathers, duck soup, and then when they left Paramount and they went to MGM, then they kind of changed. Then it was more like uh, places, like a night at the opera, a day at the races, uh, you know, huh. uh, that sort of thing. So yeah, things kind of changed. They got a little bit more polished. They're a little. A, a, you know, a little, they changed them a little bit and made them a little more palatable to wider audiences. But yeah. I like the earlier, crazier ones better. Right on. They, uh, uh, yeah, after that, like, um, the Halloweens were good. I recommend them. Like, I haven't seen them since they came out, but, like, I don't mind. Like, I, I'm not, I don't like superhero movies, so I, I'm not impartial to, like, the origin story as long as it has nothing to do with superheroes. So I'm fine with that. So that was fine. Yeah. And also, like, just the way that it ended up playing out. I don't know. I think it's pretty good. I think his movies are pretty good. He gets a bad rap in a lot of fields, and I'm not completely sure why. I think 31's a gen- genuinely bad movie, his latest. But I think mm-hmm. uh, the the Lords of Salem is... Mm-hmm. Which I think it's coming around to getting, like, kind of a cult following these days. I think it's on Shudder. Maybe that's helping out quite a bit. But... It's a, yeah. now knowing a lot about Lucio Fulci, like that's like his love song to him. And uh, yeah. besides, if you've seen the movie before, besides the terrible, terrible DJ like banter, because it's about like essentially like these DJs in Salem, Massachusetts, like rock DJs. Oh, okay. And they have like little like an AM show or maybe a PM show. It's not really clear. And then just their little like, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And like they're just doing that. And maybe that's Rob Zombie being like when he was in White Zombie or when he was touring as a musician. Maybe him doing all those AM shows, like he just hated him so much. Of oh, just yeah. like, you're with Biff and the bitch. What's up? Blah. You know, like so they just <laughs> they have a lot of those scenes in the movie where you're like, why is that in here? But maybe that's his little oh, like, yeah. fuck you to like AM radio. Uh, I can see that. Besides that, like uh, the film is fantastic, and especially the like, it's really good. I'm gonna have to like strap you down and make you watch it. Maybe that'll be oh, my yeah. my birthday present to this podcast is making you watch Lords of Salem. Yes. Um, I love it. So but yeah. yeah. So getting back to the the new Halloween, some of the things I really liked about it, especially um, yeah, with Jamie Lee Curtis obviously coming back and being great. I like the fact that it was. It dealt with her in this kind of like, you know, this PTSD sort of like scenario where she's become like this crazy survivalist and she's like raised her daughter to be a survivalist and has caused all these like 
this estrangement from her family. But I'm relating to that because I feel like, obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, has gone through, you know, or, uh, Laurie Strode, I guess, uh, has gone through like these, the, you know, like super traumatic, you know, situations that would turn you crazy if you survived them. Um, but I feel that like a lot of people of her age, <laughs> that kind of like, uh, even like late baby boomers, I feel like the level of paranoia those people have, I'm thinking also of like my own parents and family, is like something really real, but like we're you know, like constantly paranoid of something, some boogeyman, Mexicans, whatever, um, or just things that they're just like so paranoid about and just like how everyone has to like, you know, like calm them down or like whatever, it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world, like don't freak out, but then she ends up being right. And then, yeah, her daughter also like, you know, hated being raised survivalist, but she can also kick ass herself. It was great. I, I totally had a great time watching that movie. So. It was good. And I've seen a lot of, um, you know, I, I was there like opening night for Halloween H2O, uh, did not deliver. Mm-hmm. I was there opening night for Halloween Resurrection. I was a huge Buster Rhymes fan back then, and he was like, not a star, but he was in it. So that was a big deal. That movie was trash. Uh, I was there for the Freddy versus Jason. I was there for like, I was there for opening night for like a lot of these like classic slasher killer reboots, and like none of them really paid off as much as this new Halloween. And I'm a giant fan of David Gordon Green, everything from Vice Principals to Eastbound and Down to. uh, Joe, which is one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies that nobody ever talks about that he did. Yeah. And um, Observe and Report, like a Seth Rogen forgotten about Ray Liotta vehicle that was like out of control bonkers. And uh, yeah. so that was really good. And it kind of segues into our next movie, which is Suspiria yeah. 2018. Suspiria. Because he was supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Totally. So he was supposed to do it. Like, it's funny because I didn't know Salido, but actually, well, look at Guadalmanino. He, like, apparently bought the rights, like, 10 years ago with the intention of letting David Gordon Green direct it. And then as that project fell apart, then Luca ended up just directing it himself, um, which is interesting because, yeah, it's just a funny little coincidence. Because then David Gordon Green, after not making that, then he ended up going to make Halloween. And then Luca went to make Suspiria. And I think that it was... Probably a, a a better trade off. I think that each of, uh, of the the properties probably works better in each other's hands. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah, like the new Suspiria. I mean, it's it's a lot. Like, I mean, this is always going to be like one of those movies that um, you know would be polarizing. Like, even when it was announced, and even for the months leading up to it, like um, like I would just see stuff all over social media and people, especially people involved in. Um, you know, uh, cult movies and European horror, and you know, a lot of them just like just ired that they were even making this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's you know it was always going to be kind of like up against some stuff. And I think that you know um, the direction they went in is really interesting. I think the movie does have some like um, some weaknesses or things that like, you know, some of the criticism that it's gotten now, um, and it's gotten like kind of mixed reviews. Like I know either a lot of people who like really love it, uh, or people who are just like super appalled by it. Yeah. And totally. I think that it's kind of like a mix. I think there are things, I think there are things that I felt it, uh, it kind of bit off more than it could chew, but I think that the stuff that it explored and the stuff that it did 
are really unique to the original and I think are really interesting. So. And going back to yeah. the original, I hadn't seen the original since I was like a little bit out of high school, like IFC or one of those channels put like the 50th scariest horror movies ever and like they were going yeah. down the list I was like you know like nineteen twenty at the time and Suspiria was in like the top 10 and I was like I've never seen this movie and I went and I rented it and I watched it and I thought it was okay and I just never revisited it and I've seen plenty of Argento since you and I have met and have been doing this podcast even before so I was oh, like yeah. okay it'd be good to like go back and watch this film um, before I think like Suspiria is usually everyone's first. That was my first, like way before. Um, yeah, I had like seen any of his other movies, and, uh, and yeah, like I at that time I really liked it. I think for a lot of people, it's kind of the gateway into the like European horror. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was like once I saw his his Jallos, that like everything just clicked into place. And mm. I I really loved Suspiria, but it definitely like the first time I saw it, it was like you know on like a faded whatever I think it must have been it was probably a DVD by the time I saw it I don't think it was uh, mine, mine too mine as but well it, it was DVD for sure yeah and since I've seen it like I've seen it now like in 35 twice two different like cuts I've seen it like the Blu-rays all amazing um, yeah so and I I can understand like how white people like hold this movie it's so unique and it's so like you know just crazy and there's just so much going on Yes, and I think when um, so like with the the new version, like part of the idea uh, was in like reapproaching this material is you know he didn't want to do it. Apparently, David Gordon Green wanted to like add like a lot of the, the super stylized colors and a lot of the uh, you know the, the you know really driving soundtrack, like kind of the, the formula that Argento used when making this movie and. Uh, Guadagnino wanted to kind of get away from that, and he wanted to, like, you know, use, um, you know, more of a neutral color palette, uh, a little bit more of a, like, not nuanced, I not necessarily the word, but maybe a, a more low-key soundtrack. Uh, so, you know, he's kind of, like, stripping away some of these things that people just go towards Suspiria looking for. And originally, when I heard that, I thought that was interesting, because I know the original... Suspiria. So it was like uh, it was an idea from Daria Nicolodi, who was like Argento's like girlfriend slash like leading actress. And she's like in um, you know she's lead actress in like Deep Red, and she's also in like uh, Mario Bava's Shock. And so she had this idea, and it was kind of slightly based off of the Spanish uh, movie La, Res- La Residencia, or with the house that screened. And that movie also has that very kind of like seventies color palette. Um, a little bit more like sepia neutral tone. So it was like in applying that to this movie, I'm like, it's almost coming full circle. We are like, um, you know, adding these elements. And then like, and the original Suspiria has a lot of stuff like in it that aren't necessarily explored. Um, like it's obviously always going to stand alone as its own like unique thing, but like it, you know, being a movie about like dancers, uh, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of dancing, you know, for something that's taking place in, you know, in Germany in, you know, the 70s. It doesn't really have much of anything to do with Germany in the 70s. So, like... Um, no, it's definitely like a, know, a like, dreamscape, the original, where you're like... Yeah, this, this totally. isn't. Yeah, it's for sure. It just exists in its own reality, you know, like outside of everything. 
Yeah. Um, and so with this movie, you know, they're kind of like, okay, we're going to do these, like, we're going to change the style. We're going to set it in Berlin in the, you know, in 1977, the year the original movie came out, and then kind of apply these other elements, you know, and then we're going to, like, put the dancing in the forefront. And I think that was a great choice. I think that, um, like, the dance segments in this movie uh, and just the way that they're able to incorporate the movement into what is you know, part of the, the witchcraft or part of their spell casting or whatever part of their power um, is such a great, like really cool idea, both like thematically, but also obviously visually, you know, um, since you're not going to have like, you're not going to overwhelm us with like crazy colors and this kind of like, uh, you know, sensory overload that the, the original one has, like you, that you're going to like, you know, coax something else out of that. Yeah. Was, and it, yeah, cool. the, the, the fact that they like leaned more like heavily on the dance because like in the original, watching them back to back almost a couple days apart from each other, it's like besides them like stretching, there's no ballet in the movie and also switching oh, yeah. from ballet to interpretive. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, even like reading up some about Dakota Johnson's preparation for this role, she trained for two years before even starting filming on this to yeah. do the moves that she did and it shows it's fucking nuts like i'm oh, yeah. captivated by these dance scenes in this film it's yeah it blew oh, yeah. me away i mean we were speechless we were supposed to record a podcast when we left the film and we left and we're like i we need to uh what <laughs> like, yeah, it was like my first my first thought when i was like we need i need to sleep on this i need to like we also it's funny because we were so stunned we didn't even stay for the post-credit like scene which i totally forgot about so i knew that was supposed to happen what what happened kind of like, i don't even know what happened well oh yeah so there's a after the credits you see um it's like uh character Susie. uh she like is looking out the window at something that you don't like quite know what she's looking at and i that's all i really know about it um but apparently you know the idea was that they wanted to try to make a trilogy out of this oh, the way like argento originally was. wanted to do yeah, totally. So I think that was kind of like leaving the door open. Who knows, really, at this point, what um, would happen? I mean, because this movie has like the highest. Because you know, when it was opening in those couple theaters, it had the highest per screen average of any movie this year, just because everyone's like flocking to go see it. It's crazy. And that's why they opened it wide so quickly right afterwards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really curious, I and mean, it really has like, um, yeah, there's just. There's a lot. I do think that, um, the other thing, like, I, I really love this movie. I think the performances are all really great. Um, the casting is just so good. Like, Tilda Swinton is really, like, dynamic. I can't remember the name of her, the main, her main character. And here's, uh, here's, the, uh, I the mean, instructor. just a, I didn't know she was the old man. Like, that's how <laughs> good she is. Like, I had no idea. Yeah. It's so good. It's so crazy because, I got ruined on The Sixth Sense. I knew what was going to happen oh, yeah. in The Crying Game. But, like, with this movie, I literally went into this movie going, like, what is this Suspiria? And then when I left, I knew the old man in the movie. Like, I was like, oh, this is either, like, some weird-looking old man or it's, like, his voice. Like, maybe they did ADR to maybe do homage to Argento because Italians didn't record with sound and that's why the voice was so weird or, like, whatever. Yeah. But then as soon as you said that was Tilda Swinton I was like give her the 
fucking Oscar. Like, it's over. It yeah. is over. Like, I well, thought she was going to win the Oscar anyway uh, because of her, uh, of for Madame Blanc, just the one character that she plays, like, oh, supporting actress goes to Tilda Swinton. But now it should be lead yeah. actress because she's playing two uh, parts in the film that have the most screen time if you put them together. Oh, yeah. Well, and she's also, she's also the, uh, I can't think of her name right now either. I'm like blanking, but she's also uh, the lead uh which too the the big fat crazy thing? <laughs> Man, I can't think. Of, uh, no, uh, she's Helen, not. Uh, uh, Marcus, are yeah, you so serious? Swinton as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! You're gonna tell me she's Dakota Johnson tomorrow? She's actually Dakota Johnson. Oh my god! Yeah, no, it's it is like so. Yeah, it's crazy. So she's um, she, she plays all three of them. But I, yeah, Madame Blanc is obviously like that character alone. I think it's just like she. Uh, is so good in that character because she's able to bring, she's because Tilla Swinton is kind of like a really kind of freaky, severe person, you know, like her, her persona. I mean, she just looks kind of really unusual. And so when you see her and you kind of expect, especially as like this kind of like the headmistress of this dance academy, you expect her to be like a total ball buster. And in a way she kind of is, but then you see, she's also able to give like some of those like vulnerable elements to it. And you see her, you know, affection for, like, the Susie character, um, you know, as, um, you know, as the movie goes on. So I think that she really adds a lot of depth to that character that, you know, maybe someone else wouldn't have been able to, like, um, you know, work out quite so well. David Gordon Green wanted Isabel Huppert to be in the movie. I don't know if she was going to be in, say, that part, but she's also so amazing that she, yeah, probably could have done that as well. I know. Um, she would have played three characters but i know uh, jesus christ yeah. i mean i was saying this to you um well first of all david gordon green wanted natalie portman to be dakota johnson's part so which would have been good too uh, much like well but too well much black, swan. Swan, black swan yeah, so black it swan yeah it would have been like it would have tied that together so yeah i think unless they'd made it before black swan, also I mean, this was know. supposed to be in 2008 so i think black swan came yeah. out after that yeah, I think that was like 2009 or something. Okay, so he wasn't um, like just biting. But um, yeah, I was telling you this when we were leaving the theater after we saw Suspiria that, you know, everyone thinks that, um, I was going to say Helen Mirren, Meryl Streep is the best actress that ever lived. Mm-hmm. I, I'm disagreeing. It's Tilda Swinton. It is Tilda fucking yeah, Swinton. That can be a Patreon episode on its own. We can go through her IDB because I've surprisingly seen a majority of the films that she's done. I haven't seen the oh, earlier yeah. stuff that you were talking about um, that night. Um, where did yeah, she... Yeah, like she was in, like, the one that for me, like, uh, my gateway to Tilda was that movie, uh, Sally Potter's movie Orlando, um, based on the Virginia Woolf book. And she's so good in that. And she that was the first time I'd seen her in. And she is really androgynous. And she plays, like, a character that starts off the male. And then uh, later on, um, kind of transforms that some crazy sleep into a female, um, which she, I guess, kind of, you know, she gender shifts in this movie, too. Um, yeah. But, yeah, she's just, like, dynamite. But she's also in, like, those Derek Jarman movies. Like, he kind of discovered her. You know, she was, like, maybe a teenager in some of those movies. Like, uh, she's in, like, Caravaggio and Last of England and uh, Edward II. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but she's like, yeah. But I remember even like at that point, after, I remember watching Orlando, and then I was like, I want to watch everything she's in. So it's like the late 90s or whatever. So I, that point, like, there, there was the Derek Jarman movies were around. So I saw like Edward II, and I watched a movie she made called Female Perversion, and then she was in this 
um, movie Tim Roth directed called The War Zone. But at the time, I just, it was too dark, too bleak. And I'm like, what the fuck was that? So I'd be interested to watch it now um, and see, like, you know, 20 years later, you know, how I felt about it. But um, yeah, so then, like, after then, she was mostly like art house stuff all the time. Then she started, like, breaking into more. Um, like mainstream type stuff, I guess. So you said branching out. Then it's just like she started like showing she could do like all this shit, and it's great. She's so good. She's so good. And then also like all the other um, like women who are like the other like uh, the other witches. So you have uh, like Ingrid Coven, who is like she. I know she's kind of there to like bring a little touch of Fossbender because they kind of talks about that like that was kind of one of the directions they wanted to go and he's kind of like very emblematic of what you know people think of Germany in the 70s because he was like the most prolific and probably the most beloved thanks to like Brenner Hurst like director of the new German cinema um so just seeing her in there is really great you have uh Renee Stutendick uh I'm, I'm sorry butchering her name but she was like Paul Verhoeven's muse and she was some stuff like Spetters and she was in The Fourth Man she's the lead she's just like just this like really striking crazy blonde. So you have these kind of like these like kind of grand dames of European film of like the seventies and like even early eighties. So I love seeing all these people in it together. And I can mention you also have Jessica Harper uh, coming in for her cameo. I kind of wish she could have been in it more. I almost would have you know rather her being one of the witches or even play like Helena Marcos. So that might have been a little too. Uh, on the nose yeah. of a like callback. I, also, but, uh, I thought that at first uh, Jessica Harper was the super skinny witch with the big frame glasses that pokes herself in the neck. But then once oh they got God. like uh, the further along in the film and they were showing more close-ups of her, I'm like, oh, that's not her. And then, uh, yeah, oh, once yeah. they went to the flat, you know, like the dude, you know, Tilda her the old man and then it was like the, the wife or whatever. I was like, oh, there she is. I know those eyebrows anywhere. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, that's all that stuff I, I totally loved. And I really, like, that scene, um, there's a couple, like, big scenes. So it's the first, like, really big kind of gore scene. And it's all tied to the dance. And uh, and it really, like, it's funny because if you took that scene out, maybe, and you maybe put it in a different type of horror movie, I think it would probably not be as effective. I think, you know, like, the the gore is like really like freaky and crazy, but if you, you know, like, are we talking about the dance where I, the woman broke breaks every single bone in her body? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think it's so crazy, but I think in the context of this movie and the way it works with the dance is it seems almost like you've never seen anything like that. We, you know, like, and also, especially even like Asian horror and different things, you've seen so much crazy, freaky shit, uh, that it's, it's almost hard to be that like, made that uncomfortable but it really sustains it through the whole scene it's really good and having having her like piss her pants was a nice touch and then also Mm -hmm. uh when the witches come in and hook her is insane yeah and and then the fact that yeah they all live the fact that all these yeah all these women get put through all this shit and it's not like they die like they're still fucking alive and so so much so that when dakota johnson reveals herself as uh, Mother Suspiria and they you know you, yeah. you basically get like one wish with that genie they're like I want to die and they're like alright you can die yeah you know shit like that and um, otherwise like er- earlier in the film um, 
That's the thing. That's the thing I have about this movie, which is pretty funny. Is uh, <laughs> if I say so myself, the uh, <laughs> the one chick that's gone, like the the original one. Um, oh shit! That little cameo that what's her name does, who's in like everything. Uh, she's from Atlanta, uh, Georgia, but she has a uh, she has a foreign name. She's the one at the beginning that's talking to the old doctor. Um, I can't think of. The, oh, the. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. The, the first one who's like talking to him and saying like explaining if they're all witches. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't think of her. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That whole deal. But when they go to, uh, they cut to the dance floor in the first scene, and Dakota Johnson showing up, and uh, her, the ladies, the chick's missing, and she's just like her dance partner's gone, and then she starts like going like, "You're a witch! You're a witch! Like you're all this and that." It's like. If you know they're a witch and your dance partner is gone and dead, like, why are you trying to fuck with that? You should probably just bounce and not say a word. Like, you're fucking crazy to try and challenge that and, like, call them out. Like, they're going to get you. They are going to get you. And they get her so bad in the movie. It's so crazy. Uh, it's, it's, It's pretty brutal. It's super just, yeah, it's brutal. And then, like the uh, I, that scene, like kind of around the end, like the the main, um, like you know, uh, not I don't know, uh, uh, like ritual ceremony they have. I mean, I'm like I I can't do that. The word I want to use. I was, but it uh, was all about. in the red, and they're all doing the like crazy, making that like satanic altar with their bodies, and they're doing that crazy dance, and that's when like Helena makes the appearance. Like that whole scene is just so incredible. Yeah. And then when they're like, you know, because they, you know, on the one hand, like you know, Blanc knows that something is fucked up, but she doesn't know what it is, and then it's the fact that you know, uh, yeah, because of Johnson, she's. Uh, you know, Mother, Mother Suspiria. And so, like, there's just, like, this whole, like, crazy dynamic. It's just, like, that whole scene was just so amazing. I don't mm. know. I have nothing much to say. I, I sound like fucking Eli Roth. I'm like, it's just so cool because it's just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It's just so cool. But, and that's what's so hard to talk about this movie with. One thing I can say about this movie is uh, Tom York did the score, and he is the third member of Radiohead to challenge himself to making a movie score. So he is not the first one to branch. Who besides Johnny Greenwood? Uh, Johnny Greenwood and uh, uh, the drummer that I cannot think of. Or no, no, no I'm what sorry. What did he do? I'm sorry, the bassist. I have to. Oh, damn it! I'd have to like honestly press pause to tell you, but I looked this up specifically oh, after the movie. Anyway, we can look it up later. But... Yeah, he's the third one. Um, to tell you the truth, I haven't heard the second ones. Uh, I can't even remember if it's the bassist or the drummer, and I can't even remember their name. So whatever. Yeah. And nothing's ever gonna top Johnny Greenwood's score for uh, "There Will Be Blood," in my opinion. Oh yeah. But Tom York does. I think Johnny Greenwood. Yeah. He does so, such yeah. a great job uh, with this film. Even, like, the fact yeah. that he's going to use his own vocals in it, which is kind of, like, daring in a way to be like, this is me, you know, like, in total yeah. Tom York typical fashion, like, I... Well, it's funny, yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, it, he's, he's, he's going full Tom York in it, and it works somehow, in my opinion. Well, it's funny, because it's funny, it's totally true what you're saying about him totally doing Tom York, because he did... Um, so when Velvet Goldmine came out, like in '98, it was all these different like bands, like even these like weird supergroups kind of formed to like do some of the music in the soundtrack. And so he was the vocalist in this band called the uh, the Venus and Furs. It was a fake band, but they only did like covers of like Roxy music songs. 
for the Noble Goldmine soundtrack. And Tom York does a vocal, and it does not sound like Tom York. Uh-huh. Or not like he's not doing the Tom York Radiohead voice. Yeah. Um, so I remember being like, that is Tom York? It doesn't sound like him at all. You know, it sounds like more, but I guess he's trying to do kind of the Brian Ferry thing and be a little bit more crooning. Uh-huh. So it's funny that, yeah, like, so he can do different things. Um, but he does do the, you know, the, uh, yeah, the Tom York voice. Yeah. Which, in my opinion, and I scored, yeah. I'm a fan of it. I, I've always mm-hmm. liked Radiohead, so I got nothing against it. And yeah. I thought it'd be interesting to be like, all right, Tom York, are you going to do Tom York shit on this uh, movie? And turns out he did, and it still works, so fuck me. So whatever. Yeah. Uh, it plays. No, I think it was great. I think, yeah. Now, to talk about like, the things I think do not work in the movie, I think it work are like... Uh, the things that it's having issues with. I do think that the movie is so overstuffed with subtext, um, like the political elements. And all I was going to ask that, you like, about that. I don't even know the political. Cli- I mean, I know the political climate and what I know that you know the USSR, like all that stuff, the the Berlin Wall stuff, like that. But the actual event that was happening, uh, the terrorist negotiations. Well, so- what is what is what was that about? Because I don't really know. <laughs> So the, that, well, that's the thing with this movie is I think that there was so much because it was even like hard like watching it. There are all of these like kind of like signals. It's constantly giving you signals that it there is subtext or there's something deeper than this. And I'll, I'm going to look a little bit in, in a little bit, but I think that that is for different reasons. I think that's the biggest issue a lot of people are having with it, and I think that's totally understandable. Um, because there's this thing, like, so there's this concept of, like, like, post-horror, and you can also be, like, elevated horror, and, um, it's that, the concept basically being that, like, say, like, a horror movie is, you know, whatever the general public just thinks it is, it's just, like, it's misogynistic, or it's, you know, it's shallow, it's violent, it's crude, it's, you know, whatever, I mean, anyone could pick out what, you know, what the average person on the street would say about that. I relate this personally to the way I feel about um, a lot of modern Westerns. Like, being a huge Western fanatic, like, these are the things that I was going through when people were making Westerns, or, like, you know, trying to make Westerns in, like, say, the 2000s, where a lot of people, the general people, even now, just like, oh, fucking Westerns. Westerns are this. Westerns are misogynistic and they're racist and they're macho and they're, you know, they're this, that, and the other thing. Um, and they're usually, these are opinions that somehow are like very, very, uh, widespread, but they're obviously maybe people who haven't seen a lot of Westerns and understand that there is a lot of depth and like anything you're naming, like Westerns are constantly evolving. There's so many different aspects and different, you know, things people are doing with that. Um, and I think right now there's this kind of element with horror where people are like trying to kind of grapple with that, where, you know, now we have, um, you know, say like several, you know, decades, like say like the past 20, 30 years, we have a lot of really kind of considerate critical analysis of like horror movies. And people are like, Oh, these movies actually do have other, you know, they're, there's other stuff to be read into these movies. You know, these movies aren't, um, just what you think they are. Um, and so now you have people, I think, where they've come up, like, you know, appreciating these movies, uh, and maybe they, they do see, like, 
more depth in them or they see there's more nuance, there's more things to explore and they're more, um, you know, in some cases maybe more sophisticated than a lot of people give them credit for. So they're making movies now, but they're almost pressing too hard to be like, this means something, this is important. And they're kind of like using a lot of these flags. Um, and so, you know, you, that was a lot of complaints you had towards movies like The Witch. A lot of people thought that was too pretentious and stuffy and just kind of, you know, um, forgot to be a horror movie. Same reason a lot of people, you know, don't like The Shining or, you know, whatever. But I think with this movie, it's, it's constantly playing with these, like, big symbols. So you have, like, obviously, like, it's in Berlin. It's the 70s. The Berlin Wall is literally butt up against... Um, you know, like the the school. And in some ways you're like, okay, so you're watching it and you're like, okay, like this, you know, kind of means something. But then it kind of lay, layers on like five other concepts, like constantly. And you're like, okay, how do I, you know, so there's like, yeah, the, uh, like the German autumn or whatever. And you had the RAF and there's all this, um, it was like a left wing group that throughout the seventies was, uh, you know, gaining a lot of traction. And they kind of later became more like terrorists. And these hijackings, there's all this like, uh, these kind of tumultuous things going on, like politically. But then you also have these callbacks to um, the war and the Holocaust. Like you have, they kind of say like, oh, like we haven't been like the, I can't remember now, it's, you know, it's been like a week since so I watched it, but, you know, they, they kind of mentioned how like the witches haven't been very active. They're pretty, you know, like quiet for the past like, you know, since like the late 40s. And then now, like, it seems like maybe they're getting more power. And so the other, these things were first, I'm like watching it. I'm like, oh, well, does it mean that, like, maybe they gain more power in these these situations of political turmoil? You know, or like, you know, this where there's, you know, the world is kind of turning upside down. So maybe they were really, you know, really active during the 40s and whatever, like, during the war and, like, things going on. And then afterwards, they've kind of hibernated. Now they're kind of, like, rearing their head because things are going through these other conflicts or are they somehow causing them or when they're in power then just the the order of things like kind of come unhinged so you have like a lot of like these things uh going on but then you also have like uh the stuff like you have this like the psychology element where you have uh like the professor and the professor is a really interesting character because when i was watching it i was like okay like Obviously, there's not really, there's kind of like a psychologist like for like a second in like the, the original one. They're like, what is really going on? And later you kind of feel that maybe uh, that character is supposed to be the actual protagonist. Because as you realize that like, you know, whatever Dakota Johnson's character is Mother Suspiria, that, you know, you've kind of lost your ability to connect with her character. The way that like Jessica Harper in the original like, you know, we're able to really kind of stay with her throughout the entire movie. And then by the end of it, she overpowers all the witches and she's able to walk away victorious. You have this kind of like this element of her, you know, survival through the, you know, matriarchy. Mm. Uh, that was, you know, scary. And you kind of say so you lose that in this movie because, you know, you end up getting Dakota Johnson as the mother. So then the professor kind of is our point because then you also have that thing where the the witches all trick him into thinking that his wife jessica harper survived and she like avoided being killed during the holocaust and then she's you know tricks him to get into that uh that crazy uh like black mass that they're having yeah but then later when you have like 
Suspiria goes back and visits him later, and she's like, you know, I'm sorry for what my daughter said to you, and kind of makes him forget, and, you know, explains that she did actually die, um, you know, during during the Holocaust. So you have these things where you're like, okay, well, it, it seems like you're, you're putting on a lot of heavy stuff, and you're like, well, what am I supposed to make of this? Like, um, you know, is part of it that, because originally, you know, the, the beginning of the movie where he doesn't believe the first girl that, you know, he's like, Oh, she's just crazy. It's all this stuff. And yeah. And the theme is know, to like, so, always okay. be, the, the theme. Yeah. The theme of this movie is like, believe women. <laughs> Cause mm-hmm. it's just, they literally say that later in the movie. It's just like, people are telling you something like, believe it. Like it's not, it's not bullshit. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So you have like that thing where you're like, okay, so then there's this element, like maybe he didn't believe his wife or, you know, there's, there's, it's a lot of things to like try to like sort through, and then you also have the whole element where uh, Dakota Johnson's character she gets given more of a backstory, uh, where she came up from like a Mennonite uh, like background in Ohio, and she's like very sheltered. And we keep getting these like kind of they they're kind of weird because at times I couldn't tell if they were like flashbacks or if they were it was happening at the same time where it's like her mother is in bed and she's like surrounded by the other Mennonites and then she's like, you know, dying. But she says that like my daughter was what she say? She says something, uh Oh my daughter was like, like all she was all of my sin. Like, yeah. Something totally. like that. Like, like she's like all the all the sin that I ever had was in my daughter, something like that. Exactly. And so then you have the thing too where later or at one point in the movie where you have Jacob Johnson explaining to I think it was Blanc, she was explaining like they're, they're giving like what's your story, what's your thing? And she's like, Oh, you know, I grew up, you know, Mennonite and the Mennonites like they had they separated from um the Quakers or the Yeah, the Quakers. Oh, I get them all confused. It's the Quakers. Yeah, the Quakers because they the because the what, like the Quakers are getting too liberal, or there's the Quakers are getting this, too like, liberal, and the Mennonites were staying like true to their word. They're not like adapting with the time. That was just like how the religion yeah. went. <clears throat> totally. So then you have like this. So you're like, okay, so we have these elements where it's like there's, you know, uh, like themes of divide. Okay, so and you have like the, you have the Berlin Wall on one hand, like separating East from West Berlin. You have like the separations of the church. You have even the separations of the mind, maybe, with the psychologist, where you have, like, and I'm not, like, you know, I have, like, the thinnest, um, like, comprehension of, like, Carl Jung, so, like, I couldn't really, like, get into, like, any real depth with that, but I understand, I know that he was really into um, kind of, like, the alter egos and, like, things where it's, like, this other like concept in your mind and things that are like kind of inherently iconic where you have like uh, almost like inherited uh, like thoughts, you know, or things, I don't know. It's just like, so there's all this stuff that while you're watching the movie, you're like trying to like piece together. And then it almost got distracting at certain points where you're just like, like, I know you're kind of maybe trying to say something or is it a thing? I think this is the thing that a lot of the reviewers are having a problem with. Like, I think it was like Richard Brody, I think it was it was mean. I think it's kind of a, a, a funny, snarky comment, but I don't think it necessarily applies. But he said that this movie is kind of like a uh, designer Che Guevara T-shirt, where it's kind of like huh, it's yeah. kind of giving you the it's you know signaling these things or telling you, but it's also kind of like meaningless. And I think that some of that um, 
is sort of earned. I think there's certain things where I maybe with me, uh, if the writing was maybe a little like pared back or maybe give you a few of those things to kind of like stew over to kind of think of, um, but there is like kind of a certain point where you're just like, like now we have the Holocaust to deal with too, or you're like, there's just two, like one or the other, just give me something, you know, but it's like where you're constantly being, being fed a lot of these things. So it's, uh, it's tough to kind of parse out. Like, I don't think that it's necessarily like bullshit. You know, that's why I kind of like, I'm looking forward to watching it again to see if like certain things start, um, making more sense or revealing themselves in different ways. And, um, but it did definitely like feel a little like, um, like just a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, That's why we couldn't talk about it after yeah. we saw the movie. We're like, yeah, well, uh, like I don't even know what how to approach this. Yeah, and I think that there's this other thing where I feel like, and like I I don't know like you know with rewatching this movie, I think I'll probably have a better idea of it. But one thing I think is this trend that I really think is troubling <laughs> in movies is that every movie is has to be two and a half hours long now, and I think that that is just way too much like that, i think that people problem. have forgotten how to be like concise and be economic yeah um you I know think, like that thing that we watched the other like that bad times of the l oh my l god that was two and a half hours yeah yeah everything mm-hmm. yeah, i think you shouldn't surpass 120 minutes unless if you're the godfather or like you know something something where or you're, you're like, gonna do like something long format like a tv series yeah, you I know, can't, I, think I like won't even count those. Have like, like yeah. as far as something that comes yeah. out in the movie theater, like mm-hmm. it, it better unless if it's like some I don't know. It has to be like you know this is gonna be a generational movie. You can go for the gusto, but like keep it under 120 minutes, people. Let's just do that. Yeah, I think that there's like there's some of these that like can zoom by at three hours and it can totally work. I could watch like you know Goodfellas or Boogie Nights or something, and I'm like, oh, I'm just captivated. True, um, but there's a lot of these movies where I feel like um, I, it's it's hard to like totally understand like what um, you know I, I I don't know like if they just feel they need to add like a level of like prestige or importance to the films um, or they just they don't know how to cut them down. But I, I kind of miss that. So I think it's one of the things when you know like after the new Suspiria, I kind of appreciate that the original is only you know 90 minutes, you know, and that they could fill all of that time and you know it's obviously been captivating for 40 years uh-huh. um so i think that like yeah so i think that's one of those things where i'm just like just wrap it up or just like tighten it up a little bit i think some of it could even be the writing you know i feel like okay we're gonna pick a few themes we're gonna get people to chew on this for 40 years um but i think like yeah this is one of those things where i think when people make their first movie and they think they're never going to make another movie, and they try to pack everything in. But yeah. I might never have a chance to say these things. <laughs> yeah. But he can't... You know. But he's not that person. He's made, like, 20 films. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is... Yeah, I mean, he was... I mean, obviously, he wasn't... When he was making this movie, he wasn't. But, I mean, he was nominated... You know, his last movie was up for Best Picture. So. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I don't... So, I think that, like... Those are complaints I think that are are valid. I think I think I see why people would be upset by those things. I don't think that those things like wipe away all the things that movie has going for it. I think it has a lot of really cool things going for it, and I can't wait to watch it again. But I do think there are like some legitimate complaints. Uh, yeah, I, I see it. I like bottom line. Like I am so fucking like happy that this movie got funded. This movie got made, and this movie got made the mm-hmm. way it. Did and I'm glad I saw it and it was great. Uh, I think oh, yeah. 
that this is a way to remake a movie. Like, you know, I'm glad they just were like, Argento, you can't do colors like Argento. Like, you can't, like, do, like, a a soundtrack like Goblin. You can't fucking fuck with 1970s Italy. Like, even when people, like, The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears, which is an Italian film that came out a few years ago that was trying to explore the genre or the giallo Mm -hmm. culture again, which I did like. I really did like that movie. But oh, yeah. at the end of the day, there is like, it's not 1970s Italy. You know what I mean? So you're like, yeah. oh, this is awesome. Well, that it's a whole nother degree, like, concept. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, I think also like Mandy is sort of like that too. You know, like where it's like pulling off a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. love, yeah, Mandy. Oh, my God, that movie. But uh, yeah. no, I'm really glad this movie came out. I'm really glad I saw it. And I'm glad I uh, watched Suspiria again, and especially before seeing this one. And I watched the um, special features that was on the Blu-ray that you lent me. Uh, I don't have it in oh, yeah. front of me. Who put that out? Uh, that was... Uh, Severin? Synopsis. Uh, oh, Synopsis. Okay, cool. So, yeah. And it's... that was like one of those, like, like yeah, it took years to, like, he got the rights to it and just, like, restored the shit out of it, so... Yeah, it's, yeah a, it's, it's it looks beautiful. It's great, and I luckily got to listen or watch the movie with the sound bar uh, hooked up to the TV. Oh, so, yeah. and that's the way you should see it. And after listening to a couple podcasts in preparation for this one, um, it's funny. Like, so, there's a couple that I listened to that um, a lady saw it like in the first run, whenever that was uh-huh. in '77 or whatever in New York City, and was like, you know, I saw it on Forty Second Street where, uh, you know. Like, you couldn't watch a full movie on 32nd Street without, like, somebody getting into a fight, like, bottles falling on the floor, like, people laughing. Uh, what if it was, people... was it Maitland Madonna? I don't know. Uh, she's this writer. She's, like, famous. She's, like, one of the big experts on Suspiria. But she always talks about she was, like, 14 years old, and she'd go to the movie on 42nd Street. Oh, it's got, <laughs> it's like... got to be her. It's definitely got to be her. But yeah. she was saying, like, hey, she'd never seen a movie like that because when it came out, like... It, the, the theater was silent and like people were like in it and it was like a movie yeah. experience it was like a rock and roll concert or something like that just like i i i, totally. I know you've seen it twice well, in the theater i would love to see it in the theater i would die to see it in the theater now. oh yeah but um it's I, awesome i have an Let's appreciation say, like, coming for back it. around like how that soundtrack influenced uh john carpenter's soundtrack for halloween yeah and it totally shows once you listen to it you're like oh okay um yeah but this film was awesome. It took, it was weird. It was like one of those, like when I watched it again uh, recently, like I saw it and I was like, okay, I really, really liked it. But this isn't my favorite Italian horror movie and this isn't um, yeah. my favorite uh, Dario Argento movie. And then I let it sit for a few days and like read some stuff about it, listen to different perspectives. And now I'm coming back totally like, you just had to let it digest. You're like, this is really special. This movie is really special. Uh, oh yeah it's insane I mean the set is all the sets are like blow your fucking mind and like all the stunts at the very end like Italy is not known for being safe so like who knows what was really going on behind the scenes when all those doors were blown (laughs) off the hinges and all the glass was breaking I I I bet you that chick really dived into real barbed wire you know what I mean like it's just like so crazy it's so crazy (laughs) um she has, like, those scars, like, those girls got when they were, like, went to go see the Beatles, and they clawed their face. <laughs> uh, she was covered in razor wire scars. To be young. <laughs> I don't um, know. No, uh, but it was, it was great. I'm, 
I think we'll wrap it up here. We're at like an hour. This has got to be one of the longest podcasts we've ever done. And, I know. And it's we, had a lot of, we had a lot to cover. We had a lot to unpack. We've been gone for like almost a month, and we're not giving up. We swear we're not. It was just a oh, yeah. shitty month to do anything. I know. We just had a lot. But now that we got the bunker set up and everything, it's good to go. Okay, I'm going to preview the next Patreon, <laughs> which I swear to God, yeah. we're, we're going to keep it going. The uh, Episode number two... I'm finally going to do it. You're going to hear our podcast on Tom Cruise. Yeah. It's the Tom <laughs> Cruise extravaganza. I know it has nothing to do with psychotronic film, but it's just something that I think we need uh, to talk about. To he is. Oh, yeah. He's a psychotronic character. Um, <laughs> man. But uh, yeah, it was great getting back in the saddle and just talking about shit again. Um, oh, yeah. We'll be back next week. We're not gonna take as long. We swear to God. Uh, but oh, yeah. till then, let's just let's just keep it purely casual. Purely casual. Bye.